Would you pray with me? Lord God, we thank you for this day. God, we thank you for the work that you're doing through Kim and through Journey to Freedom. Lord, we thank you for your word. God, we ask that as we turn our attention now to your holy word, we, we beg that you would speak to us. Father, you would move in a powerful way. We would hear from you, Lord. We would not hear the foolish ramblings of a, of a preacher, Lord, but Father, that we would hear from your very word, that your spirit would speak to us. God, we ask that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would comfort us, that you would strengthen us. We ask all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. All right, folks, if you've got your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Hebrews. We are going to be in the final chapter of Hebrews today. So it is good news. If you have been waiting and ready for us to be done with Hebrews, we're in the final chapter. So that's, that's the uplifting part. The uh, part that might not be quite as encouraging is we're going to spend the next four weeks in chapter 13. And, and when we read this together, you're going to see why. But we will spend the entire month of May on the instruction given to us by God's Holy Spirit through the author of Hebrews in chapter 13. As you find your place in sacred scripture, I would ask that you please stand out of reverence to the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now at the book of Hebrews, chapter 13, beginning in verse 1 through verse 9, the word of the Lord says, Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers. For thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison, as though you are in prison with them, and those who are mistreated, since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all, and let the marriage bed be undefiled. For God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of of money and be content with what you have for he has said I will never leave you nor forsake you so we can confidently say the lord is my helper i will not fear what can man do to me remember your leaders those who spoke to you the word of god consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith jesus christ is the same yesterday and today and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those devoted to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. As we begin our study here of Hebrews chapter 13 and we wrap up our study of Hebrews altogether, it always impresses me that the writers of the New Testament, when they get to the end of a letter, they don't say things to just draw things out and come to a close. It's not like me on the phone with a good friend of mine. He and I, for some reason, never like to be the first one to say goodbye. So we go through all those phrases that are not quite goodbye, but are, are those phrases, well, have a good one. All right. Okay. Talk to you later. Yeah, man. See ya. Just hang up the phone. 
That's, I'm, I'm just, I get to that point, and I don't know if you've ever written to somebody or gotten a letter or an email from somebody like me that just yammers, and you get to the end of the email, and they're like, we should have finished four paragraphs ago. Let's go. Let's wrap it up. The New Testament writers are nothing like that. When they get to the very end and they know they're running out of parchment, they compact as much as they can into one tiny space. Look back with me in these verses. We looked at nine verses this morning. In the very first verse, a very condensed, let brotherly love continue. One command right there out of the gate. Do not neglect to show hospitality for strangers. Remember those who are in prison. Let marriage be held in honor. Keep your free life free from the love of money. Five verses and five commands rapid fire right there. Now, that might not seem like a big deal to you, but do remember that this same author spent chapter 1 through chapter 10 describing the theology and doctrine of Jesus' superiority. So we have spent 10 chapters talking about deep, doctrinal theological truths and now here we get into verse into chapter 13 and there's four commands in four verses this is very condensed very quick and very poignant just because it is shorter does not make it less impactful as scripture so he says beginning with let brotherly love continue relationships in the church are marked by love they are marked by the fruit of Hey, listen, we are brothers and sisters in the faith if we are truly disciples of Christ and we are members of this church, then we are brothers and sisters. Listen, I was raised by an Italian mom, okay? So there are some stereotypes that she lives up to. One of those is that commonly in my house, I heard the phrase, Nathan, remember, blood's thicker than water now. If some of my friends were getting real close to me and I was wanting to pick a friend event over a family event, my mom would just lovingly and harshly remind me, hey, blood's thicker than water now. You know that. I mean, over and over again, I heard this my whole life. And so it's very important. You can change your friends. You can change who is in your circle of influence. But at the same time, you're stuck with your family. My brother is my brother. There's nothing I can do about it. He looks a lot like me. I'm, I guess I look a lot like him. He's the older one. Like, even though I, I did my hair a little too short this time, y'all may have noticed my head's a little bit white. That makes me look even more like him because he's already lost all of his hair. So I sent him a, a selfie last night saying, hey, look, we're finally really twins. And he sent a selfie back and he really, he's just shaved all his head off. That's, that's the thing. We're brothers. There's nothing we can do about our resemblance. There's nothing we can do that the same blood that runs through my veins runs through his veins. In Genesis, when God creates Eve, at the end of chapter 2, as he creates Eve out of Adam, Adam gives off this this relief, this declaration to the Lord when he says, At last, flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, there is a difference between Eve and all the rest of creation. She is family. And you know, sometimes we have rough families. Sometimes we have great families. But one way or another, we understand that there is a different connection with family. I would just urge you to understand this morning, as I am trying to understand myself, that as fellow members of the same church, we have that kind of connection. There is something special about this local body of believers. There is something special about being a member of a local church. You are declaring, this is my family. And that might seem strange to you. It might seem old hat. You might have been like, preacher, look, I've been, I've been living like this is my family for a long time already. But I want you to understand, I need to understand 
that just because the same blood doesn't flow through my veins and your veins, the same blood that covers my sin covers your sin. So blood may be thicker than water, but our relationship as brothers and sisters, members of the same church, members of the same body of Christ, is still a blood relation. It might not be the same blood in our veins, but it's the same blood that washes us clean. This command to make brotherly love continue is something we often just throw away. But I wonder, how are you loving your brother and your sister, even within this faith family? As he continues, he says, to let hospitality be a virtue that is present among us. Listen, hospitality was huge in the ancient days because inns were very dangerous, roads were very dangerous, you didn't have cell phones, you didn't have any kind of connection, you could be dead for months, possibly a year before your family ever found out that you never made it where you were intending to go. So it was a huge deal to be hospitable. And I would submit to you this morning that it's the same importance now. It is just as important to be hospitable now as it was in the ancient times when this was written. Okay, no, maybe your family would find out before six months or a year passed that you had fallen into peril. But real relationships, that brother and sister connection, are made in homes. Sharing meals together. Opening our doors to one another. Listen, when storms and hard times come through, there are some of you who have opened doors to people in this faith family and said, you can come and stay at my house. That is a command of Scripture to be hospitable and open our home. For some reason, we've developed into this culture to where if my house is not perfect, I cannot open my door. I just want you all to know our door is always open, except for the fact that I'm paranoid and I close it all the time. But it's unlocked, okay? You can come over any time. But our house is going to be messy. We live there, okay? I clean it meticulously, but it's messy. But you're welcome there. And that's okay if you come in and i got a blanket laid out where my daughter's been rolling around in the floor. Guess what? You probably got something laying out in your house too. It's okay. Like, have y'all realized we all live life and we are messy people and your house doesn't have to be perfect to be hospitable? Listen, this is not just in Hebrews. In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, we're commanded again, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. In 1 Peter 4, 9, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Man, I wish I had not gone to 1 Peter because even when you show hospitality and they leave, you can go, oh my goodness, I am so glad that they left. Did you smell what they left in the bathroom? Did you see what they did to our kitchen? Do you know what is wrong with our house now? But we as Christians are to show hospitality. Let brotherly love continue by showing hospitality. Listen, in First Timothy and in Titus, hospitality is part of the commands that are necessary for someone to be a preacher or a pastor or an elder. These are the things that we are instructed should be inherent in us as Christians, that we love one another and are hospitable to one another. And then continuing on, it says you can entertain angels and not even be aware of it. If you go to Genesis chapter 18, this is what happens with Abraham as he is entertaining angels and and not aware at first and then more keenly aware of what's going on. The same thing happens in Judges chapter 6 and Judges chapter 13. As the author continues, he says, Remember those who are in prison as though you are in prison with them. Listen, we let brotherly love continue by being hospitable to one another. We let brotherly love continue 
by suffering with those who suffer. And this, this phrase that it uses in the body in verse, thir- in verse 3 of chapter 13, it says in the body. This is referring to within our church. It doesn't necessarily mean that you've got to go and live like you're in prison just because somebody is in prison. But if your brother or sister within this church has been persecuted or imprisoned wrongly, it is our job to love them by suffering with them. Love them as though we ourselves were in prison. Man, if I was stuck in a jail cell, what would I want right now? This is important because people were being deserted in the jails after being arrested for following Christ. And they were deserting their brother or their sister and just afraid to go and visit them for fear that they might be captured as well. When someone in our faith family is persecuted, it should not hurt them as much because they have a faith family to lean on. We should stand with one another in persecution. This is how you let brotherly love continue. Marriage is to be held in honor. Folks, today, I think more so than it has been in a long time in human history, marriage is not held in honor. It's a problem that we have. And a lot of people like to think that maybe this problem is just with the moral revolution that brought men and men and women and women coming together in unions. But the problem was long before that. The problem was that we stopped holding marriage in high honor. And we allowed things to creep into our marriage relationships. We allowed for there to be no fault divorces. Listen, I... She hasn't been unfaithful. He hasn't been unfaithful. There's no abuse. There's nothing wrong. It's just, I can't really stand to look at him when I wake up in the morning anymore. So let's just get divorced and I'll find somebody I like better. When we started allowing that to happen, we took marriage from a place of honor and allowed it to be something that can be casually discarded. Of course there can be unions between men and men and women and women because what does marriage matter anyway? If you don't like who you're married to, just get divorced. This is what we've done as a society, as a culture, not just within the church, but it's also just as bad because the divorce rates in the church are no better than the divorce rates outside of the church. Folks, we have to hold marriage in high honor and understand that what the author of Hebrews is saying is that those who are sexually immoral and adulterous will be judged. That means that if you are sexually immoral outside of the union of a man and a woman in marriage, then you will be judged. That Greek word refers to all kinds of sexual immorality. It refers to the kind of things that you look at on your computer or in your magazines or on your phone. It refers to being with someone else outside of your spouse. It refers to being with someone before you're married. It refers to being to someone who you're not married to at the time. And then to tag on extra after that, it's adulterous. There is judgment waiting for the sexually immoral. But sometimes we just act like, "Ah, it'll all pan out. Ah, It doesn't really matter what I look at in private in my home. It doesn't really matter what I look at on my phone or on my tablet. It doesn't really matter what's going on in my head. It doesn't really matter if I really would rather have a relationship with this person. And I am flirting with adultery every day. But it doesn't really matter because, I mean, it's just marriage, right? I mean... If I mess things up, we'll just get divorced and life will go on. Ask any kid whose parents are divorced how that pans out for them. We are to hold marriage in high honor. To strive at all odds to make it 
work. To love one another as husbands and wives. Put each other first. To be in a competition as to who can love each other more. It's not one of those things where if they hold up their end of the bargain, I'll hold up mine. It's an unconditional commitment and covenant before God. And we've allowed it to become something that is not held in honor. Now, don't get me wrong, I understand there are circumstances of adultery. There are circumstances of sexual immorality. There are circumstances of abandonment. There are special circumstances, okay? And it's, it's not easy to just blanket across the board. What I'm talking about specifically is no-fault divorce. I'm talking about not caring enough to figure it out and make it work. That's what we have done within the church and outside of the church so that marriage is no longer held in high honor. And lastly, there is keep ourselves free from the love of money. You know what the antidote to the love of money is? It's contentment. It's being content. Happiness is fleeting, okay? Happiness comes and goes moment by moment. I can be happy and sad in the same 30-second period. But contentment is something that is deep-rooted and founded in our soul, in the bedrock of who we are. We are content because we have Christ. If we are disciples, if we truly believe, then we have a contentment that is unshakable. And it doesn't matter if you get a new lawnmower or a new Apple Watch. It doesn't matter if you get the latest and greatest tablet or computer or car or truck. There is a contentment within our soul, whether we have everything or whether we have nothing. In a Bible study that I went through recently in our disciple group, some of the other disciple groups went through, Matt Chandler talks about how the poorest person in the United States is still in the top 2% worldwide of wealth. $25,000 a year and above. And you are in the top 2% of the wealthiest individuals in the whole world. And yet, as a nation, we are some of the least content people. Because the more stuff we get, the more worried we are about our stuff. And then we've got to get some security and some alarm systems to protect the stuff that we are idolizing and spend more money. So then we've got to make more money to cover this extra money that we're spending. And now we've got to have more protection for the more money. Listen, if you have a lot of stuff, I'm not condemning you. If you have a lot of stuff and you're not content, then your contentment's not in the right place. Your contentment's in your stuff. And you'll never be content if your stuff is what you're seeking to make you content. The only thing that can make you content is knowing that no matter how much or how little you have, that God will not leave you or forsake you. That is why this is quoted in this verse. That's why the author of Hebrews brings it back from the Old Testament in verse 5, and he says, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have. How can I be content with what I have? Because God has said, I will never leave you or forsake you. If you are a true believer, if you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, He will never leave. He will never forsake. He will never abandon. So it doesn't matter if we have nothing. We have Christ. It doesn't matter if we have everything. We have Christ. These passages all through the Old Testament are telling us to have courage and depend upon the Lord. Deuteronomy 31.6 Be strong and courageous. Do not fear or dread. 
For it is the Lord your God who goes with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Verse 8 in that same chapter. It is the Lord who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not leave you or forsake you. Do not fear or be dismayed. You know, the opposite of being content is being petrified in fear. Being dismayed because of fear. Joshua 1, 9, have I not commanded you, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And you might be thinking of a preacher, you know, those are specific times in the Old Testament going to Israel as they're about to enter the promised land. Yes, that's right. But the author of Hebrews in the New Testament reached back and grabbed these verses and said, guess what? If you believe in Jesus, they apply to you. There's no reason not to be strong. There's no reason not to be courageous. There's no reason not to be content if we have Christ. We will never be left. We will never be forsaken. Do you understand that Jesus was forsaken to buy that for us? God never leaves us and never forsakes us because we should be forsaken. But Christ was forsaken on the cross On our behalf. Do you remember one of the phrases that he said from the cross? He quotes and draws our attention to Psalm 22. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus from the cross has the wherewithal, not just to cry out in dereliction to God, but he actually is quoting a passage to remind us of who he is and what he's going through on our behalf. I don't have it on the screen, but look with me at Psalm 22. Psalm 22 begins, and this is the very words of Christ. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh, my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Yet you are holy, enthroned on the praises of Israel. In you, our fathers trusted. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried and were rescued. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by mankind and despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. Listen to these words. This is what happened to Jesus on the cross, written hundreds of years before He would experience this. All who see me mock me. They make mouths at me. They wag their heads. They say he trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord deliver him. Let him rescue him, for he delights in him. Yet he, yet you are he who took me from the womb. You made me trust you at my mother's breasts. On you I was cast from my birth and from my mother's womb. You have been my God. Be not far from me, for trouble is near and there is none to help. Many bulls encompass me. Strong bulls of Bashan surround me. They open wide their mouths at me like a ravening and roaring lion. I am poured out like water. All my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within my breast. And my strength is dried up like a potsherd. And my tongue sticks to my jaws. You lay me in the dust of death. For dogs encompass me, a company of evildoers encircles me. They have pierced my hands and my feet. I can count all of my bones. They stare and gloat over me. They divide my garments 
among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. As the psalm continues, it it ends in verse 31 where it says, They shall come and proclaim His righteousness to a people yet unborn, that He has done it. Jesus, from the cross, from suffering, anguish that we cannot begin to imagine. With every breath, He has to pull Himself up to gasp for air and then sink down into strangulation once again. He cries out, My God, my God, why have You forsaken Me? So that we will look to Psalm 22 and see that what He's doing and what He went through was predicted hundreds of years before. He experienced the forsakenness that is hell for us. Because He was forsaken on the cross, you and I can know that He will never leave us and never forsake us because He's already been forsaken on our behalf. And so this morning, if you trust in Jesus, you can be content because He's never going to abandon you. If you trust in Jesus, you can be content and share brotherly love and be hospitable and lend freely because even if everyone takes all that you have, you still have Jesus. But this morning, I just want to remind you that the alternative to trusting in Jesus is fear, is being dismayed, is being eventually forsaken in a place called hell. This morning, this is a challenge to me. It's a challenge to you who believe in Jesus, to be content in Him, to show brotherly love and be hospitable. But it's also a challenge if you're here in this room this morning and you're not a disciple. You're not a follower of Jesus Christ. Because I I fear for you that there will be a day when judgment comes. And the forsakenness that Christ experienced on the cross, you've already rejected. And unless you trust in Him, you'll stand before the Lord. And He'll say to you, depart from me. Wicked servant, I never knew you. Don't let that be you this morning. Jesus was forsaken, so you don't have to be. Trust in Him. Follow Him. Follow the example that you saw this morning. Believe in Him and be baptized and spend the rest of your life serving and following Jesus. Showing brotherly love being hospitable, and experiencing contentment that this world could never dream of offering. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word and for the truth found in it. God, help us to remember. Father, help me to remember that You were forsaken and I will never be because I trust in You. Lord, help me to be content in knowing that if I have nothing else, I still have You. Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that has not trusted in You, I pray that something that has been sung or said or preached this morning would moved upon their heart, that Your Spirit would draw them, Lord, and they would respond in obedience. And that they would believe in You so that they might not be forsaken on the last day. God, Thank you for paying the debt we never could pay. Father, we are going to have a time to respond and we offer this time up to you because it belongs to you anyway.
We ask, Lord, that your Holy Spirit would move in these moments and that we, all of us, your children, would respond in obedience. Amen.